0: Their ill logic and foolish emotions, constant irritant.
1: Then transfer out, freak! Two, true You belong in the circus, right next to the dog faced boy.
0: I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble.
1: Cheap lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit. <laughs> Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol?
0: And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner, he's
1: an asshole,
0: and Chris well
1: Boy, is he strange. It appears we have lost our sex appeal, Captain. Uh.
0: Blah,
1: blah, blah.
0: All right, welcome to a special edition of Two True Freaks. We're doing a, a review of the movie Inception, the movie that all the nerds are talking about. And I have brought in fellow nerd Chris Johnson to discuss the movie tonight with me and us. <laughs> and this is good, too, because I don't think we've talked about this movie at all. So I don't think either of us know what the other one thinks of the nope. of it. Sort of Sisko style.
2: Yeah, we've just kind of uh, got together for this review because I saw that you were you know going to be talking about it, and what really tipped me off is uh, you were going to do a comparison to a certain movie, which I'm sure we'll get to at some oh, point. Oh yeah, that.
0: that's right. I do have that scribbled down on my notes. Yes.
2: Yeah. So I was like, oh, I want to get on on that. So I just called up to ask if you had any. Co-hosts in mind or if you were even gonna have a co-host on then we just kind of decided to get together and talk about it.
0: I sort of wanted to do a co-host. I don't like doing things alone like movie reviews. It just comes out dry and and there's just no excitement to it. Unless it's something like the media masochist where I just absolutely <laughs> you know detest it and then I can get myself riled up into a froth. But right. Yeah, this is. I did. I definitely didn't de- detest this movie at all. Um, do you want to be Siskel or Ebert? Would you rather be dead or have half your jaw <laughs> removed from <laughs> cancer? Oh, not to. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, that was in bad taste. Welcome to Two True Freaks. <laughs> yeah, I saw this movie in a weird. And you know, I really, I didn't really see any. Previews for it, or get too wound up in the hype because i'm not a huge Christopher Nolan fan. I liked um Batman begins and i i haven't seen the prestige yet, but I plan on seeing that and I liked uh um now i can't remember memento, now I, memento. I really liked memento that was a that was a that I really had to work my brain with that movie like, <laughs> big time and from what little I read about inception and I saw a sort of Dark Knight pattern emerging where all the critics you know the tomato meter shot up to 10 and all the critics were going nuts and everybody was going this is the greatest movie I ever saw and I said just don't listen to any of that because that had a lot to do with what flavored my semi non-enjoyment of the Dark Knight so I I, I tried to go and I was really I love dream movies I love dreams in general and the whole topic of it so I was and the idea of this movie I mean it, it's just made for me and, and I'm a I like <clears throat> uh, Leo DiCaprio I think he's a really good actor so I figured hey, if they got him in this movie there's got to be something going here what about you were you uh, hyped up for this
2: uh, like yeah I was Cause, were... uh, I quite like Christopher Nolan mm-hmm. I've seen all of his uh, theatrical films except for uh, Insomnia which I'll be watching oh. soon after I get through I've got I just got the uh, original from Netflix so oh, I'm going to Oh okay. Yeah, so I'm going to watch that and then watch his remake and then I'll have seen all of his movies. And I like him quite a lot. Uh and The Prestige is actually my favorite of his films. Um I don't think it's it, it's not exactly his best but it's just a personal preference for me uh-huh on uh, Memento uh I thought that that was one of his best easily uh, and I also quite like the Dark Knight although I understand how you could have gotten overblown you know the hype you know yeah kind of affected your view because that came out and everybody just exploded over the Dark Knight and I think it was it was kind of that way with Inception 2 because I think it was kind of it wasn't as pronounced as The Dark Knight, I don't think, but there is definitely hype uh, behind Inception. Uh, so I was very much looking forward to it. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I think it's a very good film. Uh, I enjoyed it, but I didn't come out of it with my mind blown. I didn't come out with it thinking it was perfect or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the masterpiece of the decade like uh, some people have, you know, commented about it, but still I think it's very good.
0: I'm I, I think... You know, this—I mean—very boringly, I'm in total agreement with you. uh, (laughs) I—I went to see it in a a sort of—I went to see it at a weird time. I went like a 5:30 matinee on a Monday, so there were maybe three other people in the theater with me. So it wasn't with a, you know, a, a rowdy or a you know really engaged audience. It was very quiet, but um, it was it was a very strange movie. Which you know that that's. You know, not a bad thing at all for me. It was very interesting. Whereas, more than getting me engaged in the actual story and the characters and stuff, it was more of a springboard for ideas yeah. based upon the movie and to think about the aspects of what was portrayed in it. It was a very almost sterile movie, even though it had a, an emotional sort of centerpiece. You know with his story, you know with him dealing with the death of his wife and and his unconscious and stuff like that i you know um, I thought it was a better movie and smarter movie than The Matrix. they're very similar but and and when I talk about the Matrix, not really the trilogy as much as the first movie, right yeah, which I'm sort of halfway on you know I think but, that's
2: kinda of, I think that's kind of the common uh quote on the internet now when you talk about the Matrix you're kind of just talking about the first one and not exactly Mm -hmm. those uh, other Matrix movies
0: I might have liked the second movie more than other people did but still like the first movie was had it's goofiness and it's bullshit psychology and and (laughs) psychobabble and all that but by the end of it for the shallowness of the characters and everything and the flash of the special effects it was a really intriguing world you know it it really you wanted to see more of it it was a very interesting world to be around even if you didn't know what the hell was going on in it and
2: i think and i think that's something that it shares with inception uh worldwide because i think that inception has a very interesting world although we don't get you know like we don't get like a look at like the world uh the world, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this, we don't get look at the world at wide, if you know what I mean, but we yes. do get to see, like with the dream technology and the concept of these extractors and things like that on that level in this world, and I think that, you know, the establishment of the worlds and the Matrix and the Inception, I think those are both very intriguing parts of the movie
0: Right, right, And and I felt with the dream world and I understand why he didn't go further with the dream world because i'm a big fan of the old 80s movie dreamscape if you've if Mm -hmm. you've ever seen that uh no but i do have
2: that uh saved on netflix to
0: watch if you when when you do see it it's fun it's you know nowadays it's got total 80s damage in it you know the the hairstyles and just the way it's in the special effects and stuff but, you know, it has winding staircases into that go into infinity and people with snake heads and, and you know, completely shifting. That was one thing about dreams have that sort of shifting value to them where one thing's going on and then something else is going on. And the dreams in this were very consistent as far as they had a world and they set it up. And the one thing that, that was sort of strange... What, what what got me to go to the movie was I'm a I'm really interested in uh, lucid dreaming. I think it's a, a a really neat concept. I've had one lucid dream in my life and it was really neat. But you know, a lucid dream is where you're actually awake and alert and a conscious that you're dreaming, and you can actually um, affect your dream completely. You can just create whatever's going on. And I got right. about oh 30 seconds of that in a lucid dream before i woke up and damn but okay so <laughs> these people are lucid dreaming they're all lucid dreaming they're in somebody else's dream but they obviously have some control over it because there's that one point where they're shooting at at some people far off and the one guy goes ah you got to you got to imagine a little bigger and he pulls out a a, a grenade, grenade launcher, launcher and, yeah. and and shoots it and i'm thinking why don't you just, you know, turn your arms into grenade launchers and fly over top of them and shoot them, you know? <laughs> if, you, if you're going to imagine big, hey, it's a dream world, you know? I, I don't see any reason why, I you know, that's what I was, I was sort of expecting a little bit of the Matrixy thing where people would be like, all right, we got to get to the other end of the city, let's do one big jump, and they'll jump up in the air and land in the other side of the city, you know? I thought, I was sort of expecting a little of that, for the sake of the story, they couldn't do that, you know? Yeah, because the whole
2: thing is that they got to keep the dreams uh, realistic enough so that the person that they're trying to extract isn't clued in, or from inception, rather, isn't clued into what's
0: going on. That, that something's going on. And, yeah. And and that... It, you know, there, there were parts of this movie where it was, it was getting a little slow, but it was never boring. It was never... I was never like, well... I'm not engaged in this, but I just—I almost wish it could have been a little crazier, you know, or even a little harder to understand. At the beginning, I was like, "Okay, this is pretty confusing." I'm like, "There's, you know, when he washes up on shore, and you know, you see um, the character of uh, Sato, Sato as as an old man, and uh, and all that's going on." And I'm like, "Okay, I have no idea what's going on." But then, as it was going along, you know once they got the four levels of the dream set up and it was going that was when i was wondering okay where's go- where's the part going to be where i have to really you know stretch to figure out what's going on where's the part where i re- where you know cuz you can if as long as you sort of keep in mind those four levels of the dream it's it all transpires pretty straightforwardly you know pretty linearly through the four dreams yeah, it's interesting and,
2: uh, because uh like a lot of nolan's films, it kind of starts with uh the end in the beginning, but unlike a lot of nolan's like uh like uh prestige and memento and following his first film, it doesn't have a nonlinear right story to it it's pretty much just straightforward except that for that one beginning part
0: it's it's like a it's like a really dumb head fuck movie or it's a really super smart (laughs) summer movie you know yeah um um what else was i going to compare it to vanilla sky is and and jacob's ladder ones where you don't know at what point you're in reality or out of reality or if you're ever in reality and um you know there's a there's a big element of mission impossible james bond and um oh what, what what is it with um George Clooney and all those guys. That oh, paper, Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven. I wanted to say Ocean Seven, but I knew that wasn't right. And uh, th- you know, there's an element of that. You know, let's assemble our team. And I, you know, that th- those aspects of it, I was all for. You know, the whole snow fortress part was, you know, great. It was like, ah, oh, great. This is like watching a classic James Bond movie. You know, this is. Yeah. And I and I was really digging on the fact that a lot of the effects were practical effects and and not really, you know, computer generated as much as computer enhanced and and I thought that added a really neat element to it and and made it unique in its own world. Whereas is okay, so he didn't go far enough with the dream world as far as I'm concerned. But for what he did create, it's got its own whole feel to it and look to it. I really love the scene where she, um, opens, or, or, you know, sort of takes the two gates that are mirrors and closes them up and changes location by, by just using mirrors. I thought that was that was a really neat little, and I I love scenes like that because they say a lot they by showing it of right. how they're figuring out how to use it, and then it just sort of drops it. You know, it's just a, a nice little detail thrown in, to the of operating the. The dream world. Um, yeah, I I'm hoping that he, I'm hoping he continues this. To, I'm not looking forward to the the new Batman movie as much as I would like to, but you know, I, right. but I did I did like Batman Begins. So there's, you know, I'm hoping it's a, a little less of a production. I hope it's more of a Batman settled into being Batman. Christopher Nolan s- settled into being the director of Batman and not really trying to rock the whole world of it rather than just operate the whole world and tell a story within it. That would be really nice. If it was a little smaller movie than than The Dark Knight, I would be really happy with it. I hope he doesn't feel that he has to, uh, you know... The, Bring, Trump, beat Avatar? He, he, or whatever, <laughs> beat himself yeah with with more drama and and scope and and what what have you in the in the next one but uh this movie makes me a little more hopeful for it because boy compared to i I mean my big problem with the dark knight was the editing was just sloppy it was sloppy and this one there was there was nothing sloppy about this movie at all not one detail the only thing that i Nah, I wouldn't call it sloppy But the soundtrack Not necessarily the music I, I like the music I like the big like Slide trombone Sound that really added to the The feeling of it But the way it was all mixed together And maybe it was a the theater I saw it in too But it was very muddy in, Yeah I kind of felt the same way That
2: was one of the uh, Little nits I had with it was You know I wasn't really feeling the soundtrack on it well, there's something interesting I found out is that the, uh, like, the main musical cue in the film uh, is actually a slowed-down version of the song that is played to uh, clue everybody in that they're about to kick, if you remember when oh, Arthur yeah. got the headphones yeah, yeah. put on him. Yeah.
0: Oh, So that's I'm interested
2: really in re-watching it and seeing where exactly that's put into it and see if, like, there's some... You know, meaning behind where Nolan chose to you know place that specific cue in it.
0: I think I, I I'm sure there is there there's a lot of um um. They, I saw a great internet. I am gonna quote two people one two people that I can't attribute to. One person was on the forums, and he had a great insight to it, where he said all the members of Cobb's team functioned pretty much like a film crew you know you had a set designer um which would be uh Ariadne you'd have Fisher who's your audience and uh Yusef is the special effects you know visual effects guy Saito 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 would be the producer and his friend Arthur would be like his DP or you know and Eames would be the actor and uh I thought that was, and I thought that was a really good point that he made. And since Christopher Nolan is a filmmaker, you know, I really wouldn't put it past him at all to, to be referenced. And especially with something, films are are basically you know shared dreams. So I I wouldn't doubt if he put a lot into this movie to, to say something about film with it. And and the idea of that uh, Inception is placing an idea in, into Fisher's head. would be the audience it it was it's basically there's a little point saying it's really hard to put an idea into an audience's head which is a which is true
2: (laughs) yeah i think that eames you know like to the point where he has like his own like little dressing desk that he has like when he was getting ready i think that's like like eames is like the big like flare going up about the, the whole filmmaker parallel And I did. I didn't catch it when I first watched it, but when I saw that point being made, I was like, "Yeah, that that totally fits." I think even Nolan's commented about the parallels himself. So, and and teams is
0: kind of a diva too. He's kind of like, "I do whatever you know. I do what I want. You got to work with me, you know. You're gonna have me in your dream. You gotta you gotta work with me, baby." So I got my own way of doing things. You want it done right? You gotta do it my way. Right. There was another guy on the internet who. Just, it was great, you know, because everybody at the at, when this first came out wanted to argue at the end: was it a dream or was it? Uh, you know, yes. What part was real? What part wasn't a dream? And I thought it was very obvious that he made a point to say it wasn't a dream, because that top started to wobble, and he when he talked about the top, he said you'd get it going, and it would just go and go and go and never stop. So, you know. I pictured when the top's going, it's just going. So if it was wobbling, it was getting ready to stop. So I never was really, like, going to rack my brains trying to figure out whether he really, you know, or was just living in a dream world or whatever. Um, but this one person made a great um, point, and I don't know how they got the screen captures, because as far as I know, I didn't know this has been bootlegged yet, but they must have got a bootleg of it. But if you want to really know if you're in reality or not, all you have to do is look at Cobb's wedding ring and see if he's got a wedding ring on or not. If he's in reality, he's not wearing a wedding ring. If he's in the dream world, he's got a wedding ring on, which makes total sense Mm -hmm. because he's still there with his wife. And, oh, I might as well get to Phantasm. Yes. The parallels between this movie and Phantasm. And this is... This is, like, would seem a stretch. But this is actually... And I'm trying to... I'm, I'm pretty positive that this comes from an interview with the director of Phantasm, Bob Coscarelli. Way back in the 70s. In an issue of... I'm... I'm it's either Starlog or Fangoria. And I'm thinking it's Starlog because I'm not sure Fangoria was even out then. Um... But it was sort of him talking about his, his you know career in cinema, which was funny because I think he had really Phantasm was only the really big first big movie he'd made. He'd made a couple indies, but he was talking about Phantasm, and he said Phantasm was a movie he made, and the, the idea behind Phantasm is the entire movie's a dream that's going on in the kid's head. And the kid has just lost his brother in a car accident. His brother had died in a car accident, and the movie is just his psychology of him dealing with his brother being taken away from him in the in the dream. And uh, that struck for for some reason, while I was watching Inception, it struck me that that was a very similar, you know, this was a very similar movie. It was you know, it was Leonardo's, DiCaprio's dream. And his you know his wife de- dealing with the loss of his wife and and uh, on a more obvious you know level than, than on phantasm because he was more consciously aware of everything that happened and actually involved in it too but it had there was a similar feel to it and and uh, it made me want to go back and watch phantasm again it made me want to go back and watch a lot of these these dream movies again and i remember reading that when i was a kid and then seeing phantasm and you know i've always seen that movie in that context right nobody else does because i god knows how many other people have seen that you know that that interview way back then and and who knows this and and after Phant, I think it's up to phantasm 4 now. Yep. And like phantasm 2 through 4, especially 3 and 4, were very much uh the evil dead style. You know, they were just <laughs> over the top crazy action. Phantasm 2 being more like phantasm 1. The other two I think were made at the same time so they have a little bigger budget and and all that, but yeah, and and like it's it's weird and uh DiCaprio must have uh had a kind of easy time with this because he was walking right out of uh, uh, Shutter Island, where he was playing a character who was, you know, screwed. His reality was screwed up because of the the loss of his wife and kids, and and, and uh, I don't want to give away the ending of Shutter Island, but I'm going to. Um, but his his wife um, kills their kids and then kills herself. So when his wife was you know, when we find out that his wife had killed himself in this story, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I wonder what happened to these kids. (laughs) It's kind of cryptic with the kids. Maybe he's doing a little duet of movies of dead wife and dead kids just to just to keep using that that one bit of actor method acting or something. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that's the that's the tie to Phantasm. It might be uh, kind of tenuous but it was... That's what I was thinking while I was watching the movie. This see, I've
2: would... got a, I've got a ton of theories going on about cuz that the thing with the ending is that it kind of alters how you see the whole rest of the movie. You know, depending on whether it's reality or a dream and I right. think that a lot of the movie is a dream. Um the and the th- and I I kind of have a a bit of a problem with the ending which I'll get into but you know, it's kind of hard to pick where if the whole thing is a dream or if at certain a certain point because, you know, if you think to, like, the actual kind of, like, structure, like, how the film is, is shot, if you, when uh, Cobb says he's going to go to uh, Mabasa, uh, it cuts right to it. We don't right. see him get it on a plane or anything. And that's kind of like how he's, you know, talking to... Ariadne about the dream you know how did you get here I mean we don't see him how he got to there so is that like uh, is that just to save time you know not showing him getting on a plane again or is that because you know he's in a dream and then once he's there you know he's running from these corporate agents in a very action movie-esque chase scene and then yes you know he's he's stuck between the two walls and you know, there's a suspense of if he's going to get there and when he gets out right there is Sato. Like who somehow knew he was there. I mean, that's a very, that seems like a very, you know, movie, you know, dreamy kind of thing for the guy yeah. to be right there to save you. Um, and so it's interesting uh, just looking at that. And also uh, one of my problems with the movie is that, uh, and this is something I noticed that, uh, I think that Nolan did in the prestige too, is that he focuses so much on the main central character characters in the movie that there's not a whole lot of depth to all the people around him. I mean, Ariadne is pretty much a plot device. I mean, she's there to, for him to feed exposition uh, for the audience and there to kind of,
0: she's the audience's proxy. She's the one who doesn't know anything. She's the initiate. So they have to tell her everything. So, by proxy we get it all too yeah and she's the
2: person who even though she just met Cobb she's the one who gets out of him everything about his wife even though they just met and I mean then you have no
0: real like chemistry between them either I was thinking that there might be some sort of um, romantic subplot in there you know and which would trigger hostility from Cobb's wife and she does she stabs her in the stomach which is what made me think Ah, Cobb's is attracted to her because his wife is stabbing her in the stomach and she's part of his brain, but that never really develops at all. Not right, uh, not even a little, you know, not even subconsciously or anything. It just Yeah, and and Arthur, you know, he's the best buddy and stuff, but yeah, you don't know much. You don't know much about really yeah. anybody Eames being, you know, kind of a flamboyant actor. He has a little <laughs> more character to him. Yeah cuz he's, he's there.
2: Yeah, the the thing I I think Eames is probably the best out of the supporting cast because Eames is there to he provides a lot of the comic relief his interaction... Yes. him and Arthur their interactions and I think and that was something I appreciate. I thought that those little comedic moments you know helped uh kind of ease the story because the story is going, you know, through all this action and there's not exactly boring parts, but there's parts with, you know, a lot of conversation going on about what to do next and you know laying out the plan for how the mission's going to go down. And those little comedic moments kind of help lighten things up and keep the movie going. And I thought those were well handled throughout it.
0: Yeah. Um, and Eames was just about pretty much the only sorts of comedy. <laughs> in yeah. The whole although although you did
2: have that one line by Sato when they're trying to figure out, you know, what they're going to do with Fisher. And he's just like, Oh, I bought the airline.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um but the thing is, I mean, if most of it is a dream and it's happening in Cobb's head, then I can, I can sort of let the lack of depth with the other characters skate by a little bit because they're pretty much parts of uh, Cobb's consciousness. Like, they're part of his subconscious. And so since they're parts of Cobb and Cobb is uh, the main character in the film, then, I mean, they're just extensions of him.
0: Well then you've got the the another thing that I thought they sort of glossed over was Cobb is fifty years older than everybody else. Cobb's Cobb yeah. and his wife spent fifty years building their own world and being married together and you know, dreaming and and mess I mean that really that's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty intense and you know, it would seem like it would, you know, and and characters like that, you know, I mean, the 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 most obvious ones are usually like vampires, you know, and, and right. when they're when they're handled good, you know, okay, this guy might act like he's nine hundred years old or something, but Cobb's you, Cobb should have been like kind of like a little like a crusty old man, it, he should have been like seventy some years old, mentally, yeah, and uh, even though he hadn't spent. That time in the real world, he'd still spent it with his brain actively. Where, you know, he should have been a very strange person, and maybe he was. But you don't get, you you know, you the, his his personality is is pretty much his pain. You know, he's yeah, he's he's in a lot of pain over his wife still, and and you would think also a person with fifty years would you know be a little more in and not be hanging on to his wife's memory as much you know or or be more um, um wise to where he it would be easier for him to to let her go and and to where and being a dreamer for 50 years straight, he might seem to have a little more control over your subconscious than he did and he sort of did he'd built it into its own little Locked up in segmented world with an, ele- you know, that you had to take elevator, an elevator yeah. to get to, and that was very interesting. I, I, I love that stuff where the, you know, I like the idea of it being segmented, you know, dreams as you went deeper and deeper in time, distorted more, and uh, I thought that was a really neat idea and, and well thought out. It got a little, <laughs> the whole slow motion. Um, van crash was, was just a little too much after a while. They could have condensed that yeah. down a little bit, I thought. Yeah, because um, I
2: mean, I think I understood them going back to the van to show how time was passing, but then you got all those shots of inside the van with them moving in slow motion and the water around them. And it's like, it was cool the first time they did it, but they didn't need they could have just had the van to show us how time was passing. They didn't need to keep going inside and showing us them moving in slow motion with the water around them
0: I mean, I and understand it's... why that happens that happens yeah. I'll tell you why that happens because those shots that they took of all that stuff in super slow motion like that are the most expensive shots in the movie, and probably with the most preparation you know with the finickiest cameras that burn you know they were probably burning 10 to 15 times as much film they were probably just these really fast cameras with really fast film loaded in them and gotta get the shot right and then they get it and it looks beautiful you can see every drop of water suspended in the air and you know the wires slowly lifting and it was beautiful and and it's hard to cut that stuff out when you film it, you know. Right. And, and you, you're taking it back and watching the dailies of it. They're probably going, "Ooh, wow." Yeah, yeah I mean, you can't it's under- cut this uh, shot out. That's where that wire just perfectly <laughs> crosses over his face, and yeah,
2: yeah, it's not. It, I didn't have a huge problem with it. It was just kind of something that stuck out to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, the thing. Okay, this is is something I just came up with today, and it was something that uh, another Chris, a friend of mine, noticed, uh, is that the conversations that Cobb and Sato have at the beginning and the end of the movie are different. Um, In the beginning, Sato goes through his whole uh, monologue about this uh, half-remembered dream, uh, and he's uninterrupted. But in the scene at the end... uh, Cobb interrupts him with the half remembered dream line. So, oh, you know, yeah, trying to right. So trying to figure out what that meant. I thought of um, that it might be like Cobb is stuck in some kind of loop like in his mind. And the reason he interrupted Sato at the end is because he had he a, a bit of déjà vu. Mm. like he remembered it. And okay, this is this is a bit of a stretch because the whole uh, film is being you know in dreams but this is just something that came to my mind is that I thought of uh, the third policeman and how you know hell goes round and round and round and so I thought that maybe Cobb in real life like maybe actually did go with his wife and he's in hell because he committed suicide or something it's a stretch you know, but it's just you know something—a wild theory that my mind came up with. Because the the thing with the film, um, and this this is kind of a problem I have with the ending. You know, I I, I don't have a problem with open-ended films, like uh, like Memento and uh, like uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. But the difference between those and this is that they wrap up like the main central storyline of the film, and then they kind of leave you like with you know asking you what comes next and it's right, it, right. they wrap up everything and in the audience minds they leave a little bit where you can uh, theorize and ponder about what's next but in inception i mean the the ending makes you go back and analyze all of yeah you know, it's more the, like the, what
0: happened than, yeah than what's going and to happen or where are we and it's fun theorizing and
2: discussing with people you know what you think happened but i don't think that like there's a divine answer to, to the film, like there's like I don't think that Nolan has like written down somewhere mm-hmm. the definition of what happened in the. F- I think he left it for everybody to divine their own explanation, and you know it's fun theorizing and discussing it. But after you're done theorizing and discussing it, it, it is a little unsatisfying that there isn't like I mean if like like I said like I don't have a problem with open ended you know films but this is an ending that makes you it's open-ended in the sense that you're left to you know try to figure out some explanation and look through all the film to make sure that there's not a contradiction out there to mm-hmm. uh, how you would interpret it
0: mm-hmm. it's 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 not like fight club where at some point in the movie everything after it means something differently and right. mementos like that too yeah, like you could question,
2: like you can question from the very beginning if the entire thing is a dream or not. And I mean, there are certain, like I said, when he well, goes to Mombasa, that's a clear like point where you can delineate that, like you could interpret that everything after is a dream. But in that beginning part, it seems pretty mm-hmm. straight for this world, if this world, you know, is actually a, the world and not in Cobb's head. The entire well, yeah,
0: and then there's a scene where he meets his kids, and it's the same. Footage that they've been showing of right. the kids all along, and then they, but then he sees their faces, and then that's, you know, and that was something, you know, he wouldn't look at their faces. So when he, fi- you know, so that, him seeing his faces could just be him in the dream deciding to accept it, you know. That he moved on from that his, he's, that he's
2: come to terms with his wife's death.
0: Yeah, so or, or that, kids. and it could just be, you know, the filmmaker being symbolic. But I don't think he was being too symbolic with this movie, you know. Yeah. With the with the same the same footage of the kids, I think still means something, almost on a literal sense. So, you know, right. there's he definitely puts good evidence that it could be a dream. I generally don't think so, just by the rest of the movie being so sort of linear and straightforward in most in. For the kind of movie it is, I figured the ending felt kind of straightforward to me and it was satisfying as such. I didn't have to, you know, I didn't I didn't leave the movie going like I needed more to be satisfied with the ending of that. As a matter of fact, I was sort of expecting the ending to sort of fizzle out. I was like, I just don't see how this is going to be end anyway except being really cheesy or something and and when it was done I was like okay I, I like how that wrapped up. That 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 makes sense within yeah, within I don't everything. I don't like
2: hate the ending to the film and it didn't it certainly didn't ruin the film to me It sort of just kind of left a nagging itch to me when I
0: think about it. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a way I mean for you but I'm sure Nolan would love to hear that. <laughs>
2: Oh, well, yeah, it's been like a week, and I'm still coming up with crazy theories on what could have mm-hmm. happened. So, I mean, that I certainly like. Like, it's it's a film that, like, even a week... Like, some films, you see them, and you try immediately to try to forget that you ever saw them. But I think one of the strengths of, you know, this film, wow, you know, you can theorize and theorize and theorize, and I don't think there's going to be, like, the Christopher Nolan-approved uh, interpretation, because I yeah. think it's for everybody to have their own interpretation it's still a film that people can discuss and talk about and I think that's one of its biggest strengths is that it has that and of course rewatching it to see if there's something you missed and I think it's, you know, got that rewatchability value and, you know, just the converse it's a good, you know, film to converse with people about.
0: Yeah, it definitely is a good um and and and, and you're right, it's not and it's not one of those movies that there's some of those movies that you wanna forget, then there's some that you don't necessarily not like, but you walk out of the theater and you're done, you know, you're done with it. Yeah. It just it just evaporates. You can watch the movie 5 years later and enjoy it again and sort of be watching it for the first time. Yeah. And uh, this definitely wasn't one of those movies, but it also wasn't one of those movies that hit me on an emotional level, you know. And the ones that really end up being in you know amongst my favorite movies and that I go crazy over are the ones that somehow emotionally involve me and I cared about the characters and I didn't want anything to happen to them but at the same point the only character that was really in jeopardy it seemed was was Saito and, and he was in jeopardy of basically you know losing his mind or you know going into a dream forever yeah and uh and so that was the most real danger that you felt in the movie. It was an also a movie without really a, an antagonist in it, you know. There, and that and Nolan usually has like you know the Joker was the best thing about Bat, you know the Dark Knight. Whether you liked it or not, he was you know he was phenomenal hands down, yeah, yeah, a uh, well written and well acted character. And whereas Batman was kind of stiff. And in this one, you have a sort of stiff lead character, and you know you could sort of argue that his that the you know that his that his dead wife is the antagonist, but not really because she's just a projection, so it's sort of the yeah. protagonist is his own anti you know his own worst enemy oh well, yeah, because you have
2: the, the points where like and one of my favorite uh scenes in the movie is as soon as they enter into the dream. And immediately they have the agents shooting at him in this freight train running through the street because, you know, uh, Cobb is having problems keeping focused. Uh-huh. And, you know, just to get in that dream and, you know, they get in and everything's good. And then her freight train goes roaring in. And I thought that was great because yeah. you have the, the bits where, you know, Cobb sees his kids throughout it. And you're right, there there isn't like a solid antagonist. It's kind of Cobb, his, you know, guilt... That he feels kind of coming back and
0: throwing up blockades,
2: to, yeah, threatening to botch the whole operation, and him trying to keep that under control until he finally confronts Maul uh, near the
0: end of it. And it's and it's funny in her character. I mean, she gets very uh, um, righteously Pissed off at him, saying, "Hey, you're doing this with this going on. This is very dangerous to you, the people you, who are dreaming, and your coworkers." Which is a very, very, very good point. <clears throat> if if all these yeah. people are real people, he's endangering all their lives and their sanity because he can't deal with the, you know. And there's there's enough you know, um, motivation for him to do that because he does. He wants to. He wants to get back to his kids. He wants to, you know, be able to go back to his kids. But at the same point, that's never really followed through, you know. She becomes sympathetic towards him, and it gets worked through. But there isn't, a, you know, even, even still, once it all worked out for the best, you know, um, one of those guys should have, you know, at least give him a good poke in the eye man <laughs> he said look <laughs> <laughs> keep your dead life uh, you out there man
2: <laughs> you had Ellen Page kind of nagging him you know about you know you gotta tell somebody that you're putting everything in jeopardy and I don't think he really did anything
0: about that no he did, He just blew her <laughs> off and that was that you know he he knew that he had to and he eventually did it at the end but he didn't you know let anybody in on it or apologize or or anything like that
2: Hey Sator, sorry you got shot. But, yeah, uh, I'm kind of. I have some issues I gotta work through. <laughs> yeah, so, uh...
0: exactly. Or, or you know, Ariadne gets stabbed in the gut. Yeah, <laughs> she, she gets to take a knife to the gut. You know, on on what that was her first dream experience too. It's like her first one of her first little little forays into the dream world. You know, his subconscious just takes her out so but yeah, you know I mean we could we could be asking questions about this movie all day so yeah. <laughs> in, in that sense it's a, a rousing success and you know I really I just I, unless you're not a fan of that kind of movie I really couldn't say you know have it see any reason not to see it and see it on a big screen
2: Oh yeah, I definitely think it's worth seeing in theaters. Yeah. you know, I think it's I think it's it's a very like if I were to rate it, I would like give it like a four out of five if I had to like rate it out of five. Um, and I, it's you know I think it's definitely a film that you know you're you're gonna you know want to rewatch on DVD, maybe even go back to the theater if you love it, you know that much when you see it. Uh, something you're gonna want to discuss people to get their take on it, and you know I think for you know all that. Reasons beyond it just being a very, very good film. You know, you have all that added to it.
0: Mhm. It was it was about a half hour too long. I thought they could have they could have trimmed it down a half hour, but at the same point, ah, eh, I'm not gonna, I'm not <laughs> gonna begrudge it that. It wasn't putting me to sleep. You know. Right. There, yeah. there were a few things. Ah, eh, if I was if I was the editor and you know and I was brought in from outside the production I would have said ah tighten this up tighten this up and wouldn't have felt bad about cutting out that slow motion footage but I'm not going to begrudge him begrudge him that it's pretty footage it's and it's it's well well put together it's a for me it's a big step up from Dark Knight that's for sure I'm not going to do what a lot of other people do and in, in, in put elevate Nolan into like the Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> level of filmmaking Yet. I don't see it happening. I guess it's possible. I think there's a lot better filmmakers out there, but Christopher Nolan is by no stretch of the imagination a bad filmmaker. I just no. don't think he's the most incredible. He makes he makes very smart good action movies, you know, that for for the most part what I see. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing the prestige. I've heard a lot of neat things about it. And it was one of those movies, when it came out, I saw the previews for it and said, this looks really interesting, and it looks like no other movie. And I planned on seeing it, and it just has never never happened somehow. There's hundreds of movies like that, though.
2: Yeah, well, I hope you enjoy it, because like I said, it's my favorite. And, you know, I don't think it's uh, his best film, but I don't think it's by any stretch his worst either, so
0: well all I have to say is this Christopher Nolan next time we meet it's probably going to be over a Batman movie and I can't speak for myself but I'll probably have Scott Gardner with me so <laughs> be careful man just be careful that's all I gotta say we're just a little uh, tiny podcast by now but by the time you know by the time you get that movie done we may be an empire and you a global not- corporation yes you, you you may not want to to shake that hor- the hornet's nest that is scott gardner once he reaches dictator like power <laughs> <laughs> that'll be that'll be like the uh wrestling- that'll
2: be like the boxing rematch of the the century <laughs> Gar- gardner versus nolan round two
0: yeah and uh yeah and um oh what's the other guy the 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 comic writer Oh, you know who he is. Oh, uh, Morrison. <laughs> Grant Morrison. And then that's the next round is Gardner versus Morrison. It'll be a double, double header. <laughs> there won't be better fighting since Andy Kaufman wrestled women. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think that's about it. I'm, I'm really glad to, uh, th- I think this is the first like solo podcast we've done. I know you've, You've done some some battles with Scott Gardner over Grant Morrison and some uh, <laughs> some Star Trek, but I had a lot of fun.
2: Oh, I did too. Uh, and you know, I know you put the call out on your new special, you know, about Scott having to unfortunately take a hiatus. And you know, if you ever need somebody to fill in, I'd be glad to help out where I can.
0: Okay. Well, that's good to know <laughs> because yeah, I'm I've been I've been filling in a lot of. lot of space and hopefully I'm hoping I'm hoping it won't be long before Scott's back in action but you know it 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 all depends on it all depends on the circumstances when he'll be back into full full podcasting mode but you know I'm sure we're going to hear from him pretty soon I heard rumors that he was walking around Disneyland with a with some sort of audio recorder recording things and babbling into it so that could turn into something Oh, and nice. I've got the patented Scott Gardner in, in a can. <laughs> so I have I've, I've got a few episodes that'll still come out that'll be fresh well semi fresh Scott Gardner but it'll be almost as if you know he he'd never disappeared mysteriously.
1: Help me to forget today. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at two true freaks dot Libson Two true dot is spelled T W O T R U E F R E A K S dot Libson, which is L I B S Y N dot com.
0: You can email two true freaks directly at two true freaks at Gmail dot
1: com. You can find me, Scott Gardner both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com
0: league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for
1: new episodes of Two True True Freaks. Freaks.
0: Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy and by the letters F and U.